0: Welcome to Misinformational, hosted by Rebecca Jones and produced by Big Mouth Media. This weekly podcast with Florida COVID whistleblower Rebecca Jones dives into the world of disinformation and how it's heard in America and democracy.
1: Now, here she is, Misinformational.
0: Welcome to Misinformational, and thank you for joining our very first podcast. I'm Rebecca Jones, and I'll be your host as we wade through the mis-, dis-, and malinformation in the press, and on the web, dissecting and dismantling online smut, smears, and seditious propaganda for America's ascendant autocrats. Tonight, I will be joined by first by Dr. Cindy Banyai, who is a professor at Florida Gulf Coast University and two-time candidate for Congress out of the Fort Myers area. Our topic of discussion this evening is to introduce you to our program, to me, to Cindy, what we're going to be talking about, and introduce you to the concept of information warfare what is it and how does it work using a few examples from my own experience of what information warfare looks like in practice and we'll cover the basics and introduce you to our viral misinformation story of the week
1: awesome looking forward to that thanks for having me here rebecca and joining on this amazing journey of uncovering all this insane stuff that's happening in Florida and across the world, really, when it comes to information and how we gather that information. And I know that we wanted to dive into how we're going to talk about this today, but I think the best starting point is to have you answer for us, what is the difference between misinformation and disinformation?
0: Yeah, so we use the terms misinformation and disinformation interchangeably a lot. There is a difference. The difference is basically that misinformation is information that is false, but that is spread without the person who's using it knowing that it's false. So if your uncle seemed, sees sees some kind of meme about recent story and he thinks that it's outrageous and he wants everybody to know about it and it's false, that's misinformation. He's providing information that he believes to be legitimate to other people. That is false. Disinformation is the generation of that content. It is when you intentionally produce false information to mislead people to cause civil discord or divisiveness and share it across the internet. So intent, like the entire legal system of the United States is really what makes the difference there. It's did you know it was false and you spread it to achieve a certain goal or political benefit or economic or whatever it is? Or did you not know? Did you not realize? So a lot of the stuff that you would see on the Internet specifically about covid was misinformation. Someone would make a chart somewhere that said that the majority of people who were getting sick with COVID are vaccinated. but take something out of context. And oftentimes these things really do have a grain of truth to them, which makes them harder to pull apart from the fiction. If you can verify any aspect of one of these things, then people think the rest of it must be true as well. That's one of the ways that they trick you. So the person who made that was committing disinformation. That's what they did. They took something that was misleading or false and spread it for the intent of causing fear or confusion. The person who shared it, who does not know, is misinformation. So crazy uncle sharing memes, misinformation. The SOBs
1: behind it, disinformation. Got it. So that's what I was just going to say. So it is Uncle Jerry sharing that is just <laughs> a cog in the wheel of this, right? He's yes. just sharing information. probably confirms his already existing opinion. So he's likely to oh. share it. And that's misinformation. Yes. But whoever made that meme to share. Made Assuming it- they knew it was false, but
0: most oftentimes a lot of this content comes from content farms. And
1: yeah. of
0: course they have very prolific anti-American troll farms and, and meme farms that generate content like in the 2016 election when something ridiculous like 30 million people were sharing Russian misinformation on Facebook. So when they created it, they knew it was false. When people shared it, they didn't. Where are these meme farms, This disinformation (laughs) farms? That is, they're everywhere. There's a very oftentimes decentralized system in place. If we think about this in terms of network analysis, they can coordinate with each other, but a lot of that time is that a lot of the time that's just haphazard. They just happen to fall upon each other of shared interests or shared goals. And so they'll promote each other's content. But we of course had in 2016, a large Russian interference in our election, which a lot of people still to this day believe never happened. That's an example of disinformation is people being told that there was no interference in the 2016 election, when investigation after investigation, multiple indictments, all of this proved that it was. But those people generating that did so for the sole purpose of targeting and misleading people based on their own psychological profiles. This is what Cambridge Analytica did and got in a lot of trouble for. And that was a incredibly intelligent micro-targeting method to a lot of the people that were targeted were Black or Latino to make them distrust Democrats and sharing false stories, planning false stories and um, sowing discord and russia is a big source of a lot of it they pretty much just enjoy anything that causes division within america the destabilization of democracy and the complete dissolution of truth and so they're one of the biggest generators. but of course we do have our very own and i'm sure that as soon as this is posted on twitter they will be coming out in droves to share with oh yeah
1: and that's we have oh, already Big Mouth Media, who's been, this is the brand new media company here in in Florida, the first media company in Florida to focus on progressive issues. They just launched their Twitter page and social media trying to host podcasts like this one and other thought leaders in the progressive and democratic liberal space. But one of the things that has been very interesting is, as soon as you were mentioned, they come out of the woodwork out of nowhere. It's Honestly, it's been a phenomenon that I have witnessed for so long, Eric, going way back to the very first time that we heard of you, Rebecca, the very first time we heard of Rebecca Jones. It was all just so amazing, like one mention in one tweet, and then you get hundreds of people you've never heard of talking trash and saying things. And, and most of them are co-accounts. So there are multiple accounts that are operated by
0: the same people. And it's not like the players at this point are unknown. Most of them have been unmasked. And one of the chief one is a white supremacist from Kokomo, Indiana, who's a radical nationalist, which is so disappointing to find out, honestly. I was like hoping it was somebody important and smart and like that this vile, nasty person is just a genius in height. It was just some loser from Kokomo, Indiana. 26 yeah, years some old.
1: Some guy that's just so, that's so boring. Nothing else but, um, going on.
0: Yeah, It's quite impressive. All of my online activity is constantly being monitored. So without announcing it or even telling anyone outside of the participants of the media literacy project pack, I filed the pre-filing paperwork with the FEC. It didn't tell anybody about it. And before I think the official paperwork had gone through, they were already talking about it. So if my name pops up on an online database, they know about it. If I comment on something, they know about it. And they'll retweet it. I oh, am yeah. a great job creator for Troll Farms. These people have- Exactly, you're
1: a, for- job a job creator. How amazing. Creator. Yeah, I that's true. Right? We're tweeting about the Media Literacy Project, which at that point you and I had, you told me that you were involved in it. Yeah, these folks who were trolling you on Twitter, even though you're not even on Twitter, they're yeah. trolling you. They were talking about that project. Yeah, and I was- I was Yeah, you there. actually brought that up
0: to my attention. And the funniest part about all of it is because it's, it's, I mean, it's pathetic in multiple ways. Cause I don't check that stuff. I never did. I never paid attention to that stuff when I was on Twitter. So whatever they think they're eating at, eh, I don't care. We can keep posting all you want. And of course we've reported this and there are a lot of these people who are under investigation and I'm just going to let that happen and sit back and enjoy a rum and Coke whenever it goes down. There but go. back to our topic. Yeah. I know it's a bit of an academic discussion that we're trying to have that's accessible to everybody. But it's complicated and we don't typically think of people like trolls on Twitter as information warfare, but it is. It's strategically designed to be that way. And one of the ways to conceptualize this is about who the opponent or the adversary is because information warfare is principally designed as false or misleading information designed to confuse or disorient an enemy. Now, it might seem based on the online activity targeting me that I'm the target, I'm the adversary, but I'm not. I'm just a tool. The actual target and adversary is the democratic process, truth. Anybody who might be in opposition to Ron DeSantis, people who are in large opposition to people who promoted COVID-19 vaccines. I ended up on that crap list. So I'm not actually the target. I'm just the example that they're using to target their actual target. And it's highly effective, but it's like network centric warfare. So in new media worlds, that means like there are these bubbles that exist and, they all cooperate with each other. Now, Jim Stewartson and Stephen Jarvis have done a lot of work tracking some of this down. Jim Stewartson is the guy who made the QAnon a doc- documentary that kind of looked to correct some of the misinformation in the HBO documentary about who was really high in QAnon, principally Joseph Flynn, who was Mike Flynn's brother, which was not was hinted at in the documentary in HBO but not fully explored. But he knows this stuff front back sideways every possible way. And uh, the people who are responsible for trolling me, who of course feign loyalty to the Democratic Party and to d- progressive principles. They're like, "Oh, I'm a democrat too." Because we were are more receptive to their ideas and their let's say their disinformation if we believe they're one of us, they're one of the tribe. Oh, this is a Democrat saying that? I don't know. Maybe I should read it. It is one of the oldest tricks in the book. It's feigned like allegiance to gain your trust and to make you feel more comfortable and to actually give what bullshit they're saying a chance. But it's the same kind of tools that were developed in Russia more than a hundred years ago. They have a word for it. And I don't think I'm going to say it, but it's the concept of mask, roof cut. Okay. Oh my God. We're going to have to cut this out and make sure I get it right. Maskarovka. I don't know. It's a Russian word. Maskarofa. It's something <laughs> like that. It basically means it directly translates to camouflage, but it doesn't mean that in like the spotted colors. It's about making your information so present and invasive and aggressive that it blends in with all the other stuff. It's a far more highly sophisticated way of targeting with disinformation campaigns than just, I'm going to make some stuff up and just share it on my blog. One of the biggest aspects of this that's been deployed and is probably the most concerning recently is media control and
1: manipulation.
0: Yeah. Let's go to page two.
1: So I think what's really so fascinating about all this as well is that this is, this has been happening and there are some people who are involved in it that are very directed and involved in this. And I think that's the difference between what Americans think is happening versus what's actually happening. A lot of people think that this is, oh, this is the truth. And these are grassroots researchers figuring out things and sharing information. <laughs> and independent it's like, journalists. Right. Yeah. Sorry, grassroots is a very Democrat type of word, isn't it? But yeah, independent <laughs> researchers the ones that pull, the, pull themselves up by the bootstraps or whatever. Um those researchers and they figured out this information and it's almost an insult to Americans if you say that hey you're this you're actually being targeted as somebody who will like take in Be this information. To that yeah, kind of look line and yeah. yeah,
0: and the tactics are like tried and true. We give Gable's a lot of credit for perfecting the propaganda playbook under the Nazis. But the fact is that the same types of tactics have been used in warfare for all of history. Redirection, subversion, these are all kinds of just standard, this is what people did. You'll find propaganda in ancient Greece. And it's not new. We just have a new media environment that makes it, it's very uh, lucrative for some of these people. Yeah, And uh, it's also... A lot more intense and dense so it's everywhere and anybody can access it if you didn't go see the little propaganda movies that played in theaters on world war one you were less likely to consume that information um, than if you went and that's not so much the case when especially it's everyone on social media but even more so in the media Mm. so the strategy is actually most effective when it includes shades of information that's actually true like I said before, if you can fact check just one thing and it comes out true, then people are more likely to say, well, that was true. Are you saying the rest of this is? Yeah. yeah it, maybe this other stuff is true too. So there's a a good example of that from a personal experience is there's this former columnist from Politico who has had it out for me since December of 2020 when I called him sexist for being sexist. And uh, He's probably the most mainstream of the DeSantis propagandists. And he also does it for Matt Gaetz as well, but mostly for DeSantis. And his name is Marco Caputo, and uh, he's got a long track record of promoting conspiracy theories and false information, working on behalf of the Republican Party. My buddy, Dan Ulfelder, who founded Remove Ron and ran for attorney general, thinks that they have some kind of PP tape on him or something that he does this <coughs> some kind of blackmail or dirt. I don't know. But uh, he's been engaged in information warfare against Americans. My story came out. He was involved with the BP oil spill, basically doing their PR. He's been pushed out of pretty much every outlet he's ever worked at, and it's a pretty good example
1: of falling upwards.
0: And <laughs> which, yeah.
1: which uh, white men affiliated with Republicans happen to do in droves.
0: Yeah, especially in the media. So outside of disinformation about me, which for him included planting false stories in the news and in the media, tampering with documents before their release, leaking or publishing government or private docs on behalf of the government or its agents. Those are the textbook types of media plants that are defined by the Strategic Center for Strategic and International Studies that reviews misinformation and information warfare. Those are the three media agents that you'll find, the things that they do. And he's done all three. But he's been posting pro-DeSantis propaganda under the guise of opinion columns, all kinds of really shoddy stuff. And then, of course, there's the scandal with the capitalist. So a while back, there was a journalist who was investigating Florida Power and Light and was exposing them in some pretty harmful ways to their company and their brand. There was this kind of online blog rag called The Capitalist, which was founded by this guy who did communications for Rick Scott. And he and Florida Power Light coordinated to attack this journalist constantly. And anyone really who spoke ill of Florida Power and Light. Mary Ellen Klaus at the Miami Herald was one of the targets because she often wrote negatively about Florida Power Light or other conservative groups. Leak communications between these people, this is crazy, showed that the founder, I think his name was Burgess. I didn't write it down, floated the idea of this is these are her taking over well-established papers like Florida Today and the Gannett Network, which includes here the Pensacola News Journal. And down and, here in
1: Fort Myers, that Naples Daily News and the News Press. Yeah. And that's pretty big.
0: Yeah. So they wanted to take over these well-established papers. And turned them into what he called ghost operations. So these are reporters that they would pay on top of their, whatever they're getting at the paper, which frankly is not much. So this would make it incredibly tempting to plant stories and to write stories that were favorable to these companies on top of as part of their job. They basically be bribing reporters. He asked for $2 million And the two reporters that he suggested that he wanted to bring on immediately, implying that they were already on board, and he obviously knew these guys very quick, but well, were Mark Caputo and Gary Fineout. Gary Fineout is also at Politico, and I've had interactions with, but um, those were the two that he wanted $2 million to plant stories that are favorable to them and their agenda, including other conservatives. And they hmm. would continue to attack real journalists who were exposing corruption. Yeah, that's called ghost operations. And it absolutely happens. It is one of the most disturbing parts of information warfare, because it means wow. that we have reporters, even in mainstream media, who are there yeah. and being paid by people like Florida Power and Light to destroy any negative stories that might be in the news newsroom about remote fluff pieces to target people, individuals or companies who question them or try to expose them for what they're doing. And Mark Caputo is one of those people. Yeah.
1: What's really interesting is I know both you and I ran in districts that are very red districts, right? And for years here, I would see in our media, right? It would always, again, those fluff pieces that you were saying, it's oh, this guy's great. And look at his background, his history. And we just had a guy that was like a baseball player elected to county commission. And it's like, nobody talks about all of the misdeeds that these folks have done or any of the critical things, looking at them with a critical eye, right? It was all this. And it's for years before I got into politics, I was just a a mom and a citizen and an instructor and running my business and I would watch and I would say no one here ever says anything negative about any of these people yeah. ever, and that was both the print and the the action media, the news, the, and actually two of our we have Waterman and the other one that gets all their stuff handed down from corporate. I can't remember their name right now. Yeah. We only they actually combined together and I kept talking with people about this and they would be like oh no it's just not a thing or they're just really nice guys I'm like no I'm listen in my district alone my opponent has like multiple felons that literally disappeared he's like multiple felonies nobody nobody's questioned him on that We have a guy on the city, Bonita Springs City Council, who killed a woman on I-75 after verifiably attending a Republican drinking party fundraiser. Nobody says anything about him. And just on and on. And it's if we were really in a place where the media was not being controlled in some way or shape or form by these powerful interests, then these guys, they wouldn't stand a chance. Everybody would look at them and know that they're a joke, but we don't have that here. And so I think that really us here in Florida, in these different places, too, we're on the forefront of what could actually take over in a lot of other places across the United States if we're not careful. Yeah. And
0: this is something that's been ongoing as small town newspapers have been dying or have been bought out over the year decades. Really, they can't sustain themselves independently. So they get sold to organizations like, and then it's a more centralized system. Now I'd enjoy Florida today. I've never had a bad experience with any reporters from Florida today, but I do know that from the friends that I have that have worked there, that the pay is abysmal. And if you're working at the Pensacola news journal and you're making horrible amounts of money and you don't really care about what you're doing. And then somebody like this comes along and we will give you $25,000 a year to publish the stories that we want you to publish or to kill the ones that we don't want you to do. And it's not even necessarily content control. It's can also be access. So it is really difficult not to write about all the things that I was doing over here. You have a (laughs) Forbes Tech Person of the Year, Fortune 40 Under 40, Ron DeSantis' according to the Daily Beast, worst nightmare. And to just not write when Florida Power and Light screwed over everybody, when the official takeover from Gulf Power happened and they jacked up their rates, I was paying people's light bills. And... uh, I've donated a lot of money to a lot of organizations around here, made a lot of this stuff happen. And the worst part about it is they cover some of the stuff I did, but would not ever mention me. They would cover the challenge 22 fundraiser where they raised $30,000. 10,000 of that was from me. I was one third of that money. And I, my name was never mentioned.
1: I thought um, it was just me. They did the okay. same thing to me here. They would be at or events that I organize, and yeah. not mentioned. They won't put me on camera. They would actually be instructed to not put me in camera, not put my name. So that's fascinating. That's yeah. kind of part of this media, media. manipulation. And uh,
0: one specific story: Matt Gates is a piece of shit, and he's full of shit. But when they arrested the man who threatened to kill him and everything, I got a lot of heat from Democrats for saying, coming out and saying, you know what, no person should have that happen to them. As somebody who's been receiving death threats every single day since the same has outed me to the world, that's not something that we should accept as part of being in Congress or a part of any public service job. But when one of his guys called and said they were going to kill me, they were going to kill my whole family, I was going to die, motherfucker, and on a voicemail without blocking their number, and then proceeded to text my husband for several days with threatening messages, and we reported it to the FBI, and nobody would cover that story. We had the voicemail, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I don't know if we can splice it in here or not, but it's pretty frightening, and uh, nobody cared, and I had to get apply for a restraining order for Matt Gates, one of his lead goons to protect my son, my 12 year old son, who was being stalked and photographed and bullied online by Matt Gates. And nobody wanted to write about that, but it's, you have to actively try to do that bad of a job in the media because most people I hear of something, maybe I just have high standards, maybe I am disappointed in the media experience having gone to the best journalism school in the country for my undergrad, as DeSantis so kindly pointed out back in May of 2020, but because I'm not a scientist, I'm a journalist. I was a double major. The science one didn't count, I guess, only journalism counted, that I believed in the principles that I was taught and that speaking truth to power and exposing wrongs and writing about things that matter to real people in the real world was what you should strive to do. And that's not, and that's not true everywhere, but in Florida especially, that's not what's happening. Ron Sanchez might be one of the most effective people at disseminating propaganda through mainstream media networks. And uh, that's terrifying and it's really disappointing to see that only now are the press kind of awake to how dangerous that is. Because it's been a long time. But yeah, that could bring a good segue into our misinformation
1: story of the week. All right, the misinformation story of the week. We should have a banner come up like,
0: whoosh, misinformation story
1: of the week. Oh, yeah, because this, you're, so one of the things that I know that you had talked about is like, you want this to be like a regular segment, right? Mm -hmm. Every single week, we're going to, look at a couple of
0: viral stories. We're only going to cover one during our podcast. And then if we have time, we'll do some other ones as extras that can go online. But um, we're going to look specifically at something that was a big story that is representative of kind of the information warfare that we discuss every week on this podcast. And so each week we'll highlight a big story from the last week that spun out of reality, spread false information, cause harm to people, institutions, agencies, companies, any kind of entity, and then break down who the culprits are, uh, how it got started and what the truth behind the disinformation campaign
1: really means. All right, awesome, let's go. So for this
0: week's drum roll, we are talking about the Twitter files mania which it would be impossible for you to ignore because of how many stories have been planted about it, especially in the conservative press, but more so bleeding into the mainstream press. And of course, the myth of liberal big tech suppressing conservative ideas is a form of misinformation or sorry, a form of information warfare in and of itself. It creates distrust of all slightly opposing views shared on social media to further discord in American conversation. If you don't agree with it, then it's big tech lying to you. If somebody on Breitbart told you, but you don't see it in mainstream social media sharing, it's because they're blocking it. And that makes everything corruptible. Now, the narrative being force fed to conservatives on the information warfare circuit right now is that Elon Musk, who recently bought Twitter has revealed some kind of malfeasance by Twitter employees at a large scale, targeting conservative voices or covering up stories about Hunter Biden or any number of crazy spin-offs from it. Of course, that is a gross mischaracterization of the very selective documents that Twitter has provided via tweet only by this guy, Matt, Taibbi. I don't know if I'm
1: saying his name right. You are. Taibbi? Is that right? OK. Yeah, Taibbi, yes. He's okay. A former Rolling Stones reporter, journalist. He's got a very interesting. He task.
0: does. So if you haven't asked, who is this guy and why did Elon decide to go through him, both of those are necessary questions with really crazy answers. So based on the amount of time that we wasted on this guy's background, which felt like the dictionary definition of privilege, and we all needed to take showers afterwards, Taibi was a basketball player in Uzbekistan in the early 90s. That's where the story starts. He got deported from Uzbekistan, though, and then went to play basketball in Mongolia at a whopping $100 a month then he lived in russia a while and started a bi-weekly tabloid considered so vile so misogynistic so false and even cruel that the only american outlet willing to publish anything that he wrote was playboy he also claims that he became addicted to heroin at this point point. and so after coming back to the united states after spending 20 years or so doing in his stints playing basketball Writing for a salacious tabloid and doing heroin in Eastern Europe, he couldn't hold a position and started writing guest columns for a bunch of kind of fringe or developing outlets until someone, for some unknown reason, decided to invite him to be a political columnist at Rolling Stone. Yeah, Mm -hmm. lots of respect for Rolling Stone lost just right there. They actually axed him a year later for writing what he claimed was a satirical post about murdering the Pope. He even got the editor fired there for publishing it, which is a good riddance. So even though he was a guest political columnist for about a year, he still touts that he ever managed to land a full-time gig with Rolling Stone on all of his profiles on social media. And as you just said, he's the former Rolling Stone person. Uh, For one year, more than 15 years ago, this dude did a guest column regularly and still puts that shit on his profile, which is pathetic. Then he suddenly, after he got fired from Rolling Stone, he suddenly started getting spots on Rachel Maddow, on Keith Oberman, on Democracy Now, very respectable liberal places. And then he started resuming his kind of infrequent column for Rolling Stone's online magazine. And uh, things changed in 2016. So not that this guy ever seemed to be a normal person, He went full QAnon, defending Trump, falsely claiming repeatedly that there was no Russian interference in the 2016 election, which, of course, there was. Now, I realize that statement in and of itself is going to spur a lot of comments saying that's not true. It is true. If you're watching this right now. There was widespread interference in the 2016 election by Russia, most of which was concerned with information warfare. There have been 17 indictments of Russian nationals regarding this thing. They are in prison. This happened. But at any rate, aside from that, he then went further and attacked Alexander Vinman the whistleblower who explode, exposed what was going on between Trump and his threats against Ukraine, which, of course, played into the eventual invasion of the nation and the slaughter of its civilians. So needless to say, he doesn't like whistleblowers, truth, exposing corruption or anything good or decent. I'm probably already on a shit list, even though this was the first time I've ever heard his name. But that's the type of person shit shitless I'm proud to be on. As I mentioned, he still infrequently writes for Rolling Stone's online-only magazine. And his most recent post was from four months ago, and it was about the big pharma monster who was profiting off of COVID-19. The interesting part about this, because he's not wrong, he was completely right about that company. It's shady as hell. They were the people who made the medication that would treat all of the types of COVID pre-Delta. So- What he uh, was targeting was the company that gave DeSantis tons of money to push COVID-19 treatments that didn't work once Delta became the predominant virus. And they knew that, everybody knew that. That was a huge controversy in the state of Florida. But Taibbi does not even mention it, not once. He's talking about how big pharma pushed these drugs and, and profited grossly off of it. Even when they knew it wasn't working, and didn't once mention that the governor that was pushing this the most and did it far after the CDC and other states said this doesn't isn't effective anymore, was Governor DeSantis. So this
1: was that's the one that he put out where it was like you could go to the place and they would give you the treatment intravenously. Yeah, so okay it was like twelve thousand
0: dollars a pop uh, yeah. that they were charging the state, which. Seems like that would be an important thing because one of their highest profit margins was the state of Florida. Because fewer people that are vaccinated, the more people who are going to get sick and have a more severe illness and will need the treatment. So it all feeds into itself. And so right now, the kind of alt-right media networks want you to think that this man is a journalist. And he is not. He's antithetical to journalistic principles and journalistic work. This whole Twitter files thing has been covered by Axios, who wrote an article recently who said why no one was biting on the Twitter file scam. Even the right-leaning Atlantic allowed columnists to warn the public that this isn't what people are saying it is, and it's being taken out of context. Though I don't have a whole lot of love for the conservative and often contrarian tone that the New York Times has taken in recent years, their piece on what they called a modern media maelstrom summed up all of this problem. So they're saying on the right side, they're angry that the mainstream media isn't picking this story up and they're making all of these salacious claims. So Tucker Carlson said that the Twitter files documents showed a, this is a quote, systemic violation of the first amendment, the largest example of that in modern history. Pretty sure the raid on my home was a bigger violation of the first amendment, but okay. It's not a First Amendment issue at all, no. because of course those who understand the First Amendment know that the First Amendment protects you from expressing your opinion or beliefs from being imprisoned or charged with crimes. It does not protect you from social consequences. It doesn't extend to companies beyond people expressing religious beliefs, things like
1: that. Unless you're a protected so, yeah. class, it's not the government, and that's the whole thing about what and why Twitter. The Twitter First De- Amendment debate is so stupid is because Twitter is a private company and even more private yes. than now that Elon Musk has taken it off of the market, so to speak, as yes. well. So, yeah, the private companies can have rules as long as they are not discriminating against a protected class, like you are saying.
0: Correct. And, and assholes, by
1: the way, are not a protected class.
0: There's an argument to say it's censorship. But there is no basis to call it a First Amendment violation. Now, I was banned on, off of Twitter in 2021. And this is Twitter's official statement for oversharing the link to the Miami Herald article that exposed everything that was going on at the Department of Health and proved everything in my whistleblower case true. That also happened to coincide the same weekend that Jack Dorsey was in Florida and uh, visiting with certain um staff of Desantis's crew, and that the state stopped reporting all of its detailed data, all three strikes at once. So I would actually say, yes, I've been censored on Twitter, but I do not believe that's a First Amendment violation. There is a difference. But Carlson has, of course, promoting that it's a First Amendment violation. House Republicans- You wouldn't know
1: what the Constitution was if you slapped them right in the face. No, they wouldn't.
0: House Republicans claimed that the tweets that were released by Taibbi, because let's keep in mind, there was no data dump. There's no data access. He put it in a series of tweets. They chose exactly what they wanted to say and how they wanted to present it. But House Republicans claimed that these tweets showed collusion between Twitter and Biden administration members, but there's no evidence for that whatsoever. They just made it up. They made it up. In fact, like I said, there was no big data release at all. All Taibbi did was post tweets with screenshots and then wrote about them on a sub stack. Selectively chosen messages, no transparency, no access. And when the New York Times and other legitimate news agencies asked for access to the original documents and data, they didn't get it. So hmm. there's nothing that's being done transparently here
1: at all. Wait, so- what about the, the outrage about not releasing the Hunter Biden dick pics?
0: Yeah. I don't think that Twitter currently allows dick pics at all. It doesn't matter who you are. I don't think we need to give Hunter Biden a special pass or anybody who wants to publish them because you're not allowed to publish dick pics on Twitter. It is a violation. And so, yeah, that there's a lot of Hunter Biden stuff, which is have been a kind of a trope for some of the far right conservative people, including Matt Gates, for a while now. Of course, well, they Matt love Giggs. it. Yeah, they love it. And because love it. Matt really Gaetz is everything that Republicans wish Hunter Biden was. And so <laughs> it's the ultimate irony that he's the one who's been this holding up dramatically in the middle of a C-SPAN interview. I have the hard drive. OK, release it. OK, release it. You don't need permission. You've got it in your hand. Go ahead. Right. Release all that shit online. Let's see what's in there, Maddie boy. No, they're not going to do that. They're trying yeah, cause to, cause it's a nothing burger.
1: Them. They know it's a nothing burger. They know yeah, the Hunter and Biden thing is a also like nothing burger.
0: When they get a response from Democrats that, that say to them, okay, if he did something illegal, arrest him, yeah. put him in jail. Oh, yeah. Take We're him. We're not to sit here and it. try to defend Shut him. Up. We hold our own accountable. So it's, <laughs> if he did something illegal, he should go to jail. By the right. way, Matt Gabe, so should you, you guys yep. can be sale buddies, have your little jail sale together. Him and Joel Greenberg. When, <laughs> yeah. And she lives much longer. Oof. When even the propaganda presented doesn't say what the propagandists say it does, Yeah, you're full of shit. And it's no surprise that Musk, especially right now, is throwing a temper tantrum that no legitimate journalists will publish anything he wants them to without actual proof. Now, I'm not saying that shady things didn't happen at Twitter. My suspension is certainly very shady. And Elon Musk is going around saying, oh, we've restored everybody.
1: <laughs> okay, but me. Sure. Yeah, that's not fine. you. And I remember <laughs> when that happened because I, I was following it. And all of a sudden, they yeah, they just booted you off. And it was really nothing was going on. Yeah, there was that story that was being shared. And it was it was like vindicating you and what had happened. And then all of a sudden, done. And it was very between during that folks that got thrown off Twitter are usually really very crazy strange. people saying very insane, threatening, things, fighting, yeah. violent. You're Laura Loomer. You got your own. these folks got thrown off or suspended at some point because they were really doing things that were very out of line and violent oftentimes and very disruptive or saying things that were blat- patently untrue. And I can tell from being on Twitter now that floodgate is open like that. It is, it is a free for all. It is bot central. It is trolls. It is people saying nasty, horrible things all the time. And yeah, that whole check where they were actually trying to stop these people who were aggregating audiences that love the violence and the mayhem and sharing that those disinformation pieces of, propaganda out and around, those are all there. They're all back and they're loving it. It It's awful that they haven't let you back because that is how you can tell they're full of shit.
0: They were full of shit because they didn't even allow my campaign to tweet like when we were doing events or anything like that. As far as I have found so far, I was the only major party nominee running for Congress in the country who was not allowed to be on Twitter now some of these races the people aren't on twitter that does happen believe it or not especially in parts of rural america but i was the only one who was not allowed a presence on twitter yep i actually spoke to a lawyer from miami about a very interesting potential lawsuit to sue twitter for not filing in-kind contributions to matt gates for providing him access, resources, and exposure that they denied to his political opponent. They're allowed to do that. They can endorse or promote whoever they want, their private company, but failing to report that information as in-kind contributions is a FEC violation. It is. My understanding is that with section 230, of the Communications Decency Act, Twitter cannot be held liable for the content that is shared in their program, but anything outside of that, their business practices and things like that absolutely are subject to the rest of the laws. The idea of section 230 was that, and this is of course, pre-Twitter, pre-Facebook, this is the Clinton era. Let's say you want a restaurant and there's a couple of mafia people who sit in the corner every day and plot murders. You can't, be charged as a co-conspirator for the people who are eating in your restaurant and planning the murders, unless you knew about it. Now, see, if you were overhearing those conversations or God forbid you made suggestions or encouraged it, then yes, you can. Um, Which is part of the reason why the Communications Decency Act of the 90s needs to be revisited, because the intention was that you can't possibly know every single thing that's being done on a social media or a media platform, especially one as large as Twitter, which is true. But when you do have AI that's supposed to detect certain types of criminal activity, language, things like that, you do have a responsibility to make sure that it's not, your platform is not being used to plan or to attack or to basically commit any other kind of like Let's say
1: overthrow democracy and attack the Capitol on January 6th.
0: Or coordinate in highly efficient smear campaigns against scientists, so which constitutes harassment and stalking. So when they're made aware and they fail to act, that is a different kind of situation. But as Section 230 makes it, they're exempt. But business practices are not. And it's certainly interesting to see how fast Twitter's going down. It's also sad. Because okay. it had been used as a free speech platform, especially in countries that did not allow for it. When we think about like, the Arab Spring and right. uh, back when I was in college and studying how Twitter allowed people in avenue outside of the state government regulating communications to coordinate and plan protests and uh, right. to warn each other if something was unsafe. That was an important part of history. And
1: it's been wrecked,
0: unfortunately. Yeah.
1: You know, and I was, was going to say, as I teach, American government is one of the classes that I teach. And we are talking about the effect of these social media platforms on politics as an influence avenue as well. And I think that what people. OK, right now in America, right, people are looking at what has happened on Facebook and Twitter and, and they're being whatever, feeling some feelings about it, depending on however they feel related to Trump or whatever. Right. The thing that is actually really important to understand is that there has been criticism of these platforms predating that. Okay. So this is not just a partisan issue in the United States. I remember, what is it? Almost a decade ago now, Facebook coming under heavy criticism for their allowance of anti-Rohingya Muslims propaganda being put out by the Burma Burmese government and how they were essentially fueling and allowing genocide to happen and allowing these messages to be spread and that was a huge thing but in the United States like you most a lot of Americans couldn't even find that on a map let alone care about what was happening there but this was a criticism that was going on for a long time and the good news was is that there was efforts and there was congressional oversight by the way that started to call into question the practices of these companies to make sure that they were being held accountable for these activities going on on their watch, essentially. So even if the, using your restaurant example, even if they didn't necessarily know yet, you overheard it or had some way to know it's still their responsibility to stop these terrible actions or curtail them to the best of their ability.
0: Or to at a minimum report. That's the bare bottom. If you're serving these people and they're saying, oh, we're going to kill the surgeon general next week and you're aware of that knowledge and you don't report it to police, I think that you shouldn't be thrown in prison for the rest of your life, obviously, but because you could be afraid or whatever, but uh, there is an obligation or some kind of moral and societal duty to not turn a blind eye to crime. 100%. uh, Unfortunately, in Information Warfare, the subject of her weekly podcast, social media companies in particular have been evading any responsibility for their role in that for their entire existence. And I actually am hoping that next week we'll have a very special guest on to talk about how the emerging platforms that are currently seeking to replace Twitter plan to deal with misinformation with attack bots and psyop campaigns and all of that. So that'll be an interesting discussion on trying to understand how other platforms might do differently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so fantastic. So that's all on our special segment here today, correct?
0: Yes, that is our
1: misinformation story of the week.
0: So um, interesting characters to say the least. I'm always amazed like by some of these people's like background and stuff. It's when you start to look at them, it's like, why is anyone listening to this person? (laughs) And it's quite insane how they've managed to accumulate this much of an audience, despite very egregious things that they have done and uh, the people they've hurt, actual real people they've
1: harmed. Oh. And, I remember uh, when Joe Rogan was just a host of a TV yeah. show where people would eat scorpions or whatever. So why anybody listens to that guy? I <laughs> sometimes a bit of a mystery.
0: I had no idea who he was until recently, until the whole like ant craziness of late came out. But uh, yeah, that's,
1: uh, that's somebody who I'm
0: sure we'll have to revisit eventually.
1: There are so many characters that we're going to have to revisit. And that is actually what's going to be the brilliant part about this segment. Diving in to what's going on in the misinformation story of the week and talking about the truth. And just really deconstructing the misinformation and the disinformation providers that we see going on here. And this is the whole misinformational approach. Yep.
0: It's information warfare, and it's about
1: time that we started arming ourselves. Absolutely. And I'm so happy to be here with your first podcast. We are going to see Misinformational once a week, Getting Things Going, brought to you by Me- Big Mouth Media. And there's lots of opportunities to get and see more of uh, Misinformational content. This is a growing opportunity to hear, learn, more about the misinformation going on around us.
0: Yep. And if you have a story that you want us to cover for our weekly misinformational dissection, you can email it to info at
1: misinformational.com. Absolutely. So thanks so much for joining us here today. It was well, my pleasure. See you, time. see you next week.
0: Thanks for joining Misinformational with Rebecca Jones brought to you by Big Mouth Media. Stay connected by visiting misinformational.com. And check out all the great shows and articles on BigMouthMediaFL.com. You can also join the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and the Cesspool that's Twitter. Don't forget to subscribe to Misinformational wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.